Hey there, I'm Janie Budnick, the pet sitter guru and founder of Pet Biz Hive and Pet Biz MBA. The Pet Biz Hive podcast is a space for pet business owners to still get all those things done while getting some tips and business education in their ears. So pop in an earbud and get ready for the buzz. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to my little corner of goodness on the Pet Biz Hive. I am actually going to stop my series that I have been doing recently, and I am going to be presenting some training and some education on just various topics in the industry. This week, I am going to talk about something that crossed my desk recently and just made me think back into the years in my own business, and I thought I would share that with you. So this week, I am going to be talking to you about protecting your business. What if you have an employee who is either still with you or has uh, left your employee who has, uh, who you found, has taken a client or even multiple clients, how you can protect your business. So we will go ahead and get started with this. Of course, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the, of course, story that triggered this, um, you know, pet business owner who had an employee that did quit. And then she found out after the fact that that employee was servicing one of her clients. And this is something that I have heard several times uh, when I've been asked questions or even on some of the online forums is what do you do in those cases? How do you manage those cases? Do you lawyer up? What is the, the best thing for you to do to proceed with that? So the first question I kind of ask you is who do you think that clients actually belong to? This is a question that you have to be a little introspective on and you have to consider it all across the board, not just for your own pet business. So whatever is the standard for you should be the standard across the board. So if you consider that you are the person who uh, found this client, perhaps it was your marketing, it was your reputation, um, you know, maybe it was a Google ad that you put out, maybe it was printing that you put in a local veterinarian or a veterinarian relationship. Do you consider as a pet business owner that those clients maybe not belong, maybe that's a little bit too strong of a term, but that they are your clients. You have invested the time, the energy, and likely the money to attract that client to your business. So I think most of us probably do consider that they are our clients. They are not um, anybody else's clients. So you, of course, you have to, like I said, push this out across the board. This is why I have a really big beef with um, pet business owners who will go on a platform like Rover or WAG or any of the others uh, specifically to pull clients off of that platform to using their service under the claim that, you know, oh, oh, well, um, they asked to go with me. Um, I consider that today the same exact situation as if you had one of your employees that did that to you. So to me, I kind of fall on my sword on this one. I say that they both qualify with the same thing as theft because whomever is actually the one out there finding these clients, sourcing them, attracting them with their marketing and bringing them into, whether it's the platform or the business, um, I think it is pretty clear where that does fall. 
So um, yes, I will. I will make a stand on that, of course. So one a few definitions as we kind of get into the subject. So um, just go over some of this. You might completely know it, of course. Uh, employee, first of all, that is someone who does who is under your employ as an employee. They do fill out their W-4 forms with you and all the legal obligations. You do pay payroll tax. You take their state and federal tax and you submit those. So I think everybody pretty much knows that employee classification. Um, now on the flip side, we've got our independent contractors who are 1099. They do, they are required by law to have their own business, perform services for other people. And I have recently spoken in my podcast that it is, um, I almost say virtually just because I'd really keep myself open to someone actually doing it legally. But I would have to say in the in-home pet business industry, we cannot have independent contractors and operate as a legal business according to the majority I would have to say all state standards, whether you are a common law or if you're an ABC state, I did speak um, pretty thoroughly on those in the Tip Tuesday of the past two weeks in the podcast. You can go back and listen to those episodes if you want a little bit of an update on using independent contractors in our industry. Um, so independent contractors, really, when you are looking at uh, uh, being able to protect yourself, from an independent contractor taking clients from you, there really is not a clear way to do that uh, because you are working with your competition. You are employing someone who directly competes with what you're doing. That is one of the reasons, of course, that it's pretty near impossible to legally employ, legally have an independent contractor working in your pet business. They are direct competition to you. So therefore, if your client wants to go with them, it's really hard to have a solid foundation to stand on because contractually, um, you cannot require the independent contractor to do anything according to the way you do it. They are, again, competitors. Uh, they are only supposed to be working for you on a, a job type of basis. And additionally, in most states, they are not able to perform the work that your business actually does. So we have a lot of legalities in there. I just wanted to define employee versus independent contractor in the situation of how clients are managed down the road. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your employment contracts or in some cases your independent contractor contracts for them working with you. So there's the non-compete and there's the non-solicit. So of course the non-compete is specifically stating that uh, usually you'll have in your contract for a period of time, six months, one year, two years, whatever your attorney has advised you on, you are going to have a non-compete that can only happen in an employee relationship employment contract. Uh, you cannot ask an in independent contractor to not compete with you in your marketplace because that is your relationship already. You are competitors. You are essentially borrowing their services uh, caveat, go back and listen to the podcast about independent contractors to clear that up. But you cannot have a non-compete in that situation. Now, what you do, of course, you would have that in your employment contract with your employees. With a non-solicit, you can have this on both sides. Um, you can definitely have an independent contractor uh, sign a non-solicit form, which just means that they are not going to try to pull clients away from you. 
there is still that caveat that they do, of course, in fact, operate their own business. And at that point, it would be uh, possibly just a client's choice to go with a different business. That is really gray line in the industry with um, non-compete and, and not solicit anyway. Um, your wisest decision is to have a great contract that your attorney in your state has reviewed. So it does follow all of your state laws, case laws, um, any of that information. So definitely a business attorney. Don't choose, you know, a family attorney and have him throw something together. Make sure it's something that is totally legit and is going to work in your individual state. So that is really the difference between a non-compete and a non-solicit that you would actually have in your uh, agreements when you bring someone employees, please bring an employee into your company. Okay, so ah, story time. We just love my story time. 25 years of experience gives me an awful lot of stories. So uh, of course, I started my company in 1997. And I did myself run with independent contractors until right about 2011. And uh, made that choice then just because the way that everything was changing in the industry and also what happened in my business. So my story in 2010, at that time, I was working with independent contractors. I had a team of probably about 10 at that point. And uh, we were still in 2010 kind of recovering from the uh, you know 2007 to 8 crisis, so uh, financial crisis. And, um, you know, we were finally starting to see an upswing, which was wonderful. We had a couple of years, which were pretty crappy, as did those of you that were in business during that time. And at I'm not sure what point it was. You know, I remember at that time trying to autopsy the situation and figure out how it happened. I have some of my suspicions, but two of my independent contractors at that time decided to. Uh, leave the company and they ended up taking about half of the business with them. So of course I did have a contract situation there, but I went and I talked to some of those clients and they all said that they chose because these were the people that have been taking care of their pets. They chose to change their business over and use the independent contractor service instead. So I realized at that point there really was nothing I could do. That's when I uh, definitely started to investigate more switching over to employees and the benefits of that, which I did start to transition over. Um, everything I was thinking through in 2011 started to figure out how exactly I was going to be able to have a completely different face to my business where I actually had control and I could create efficiencies and standards for the service that we were providing to our community. And so we did finalize that transition in 2012. So at that point, um, we did have some of our contractors that we um, asked them if they would like to come on then as employees with our company, which um, a few of them did do that. So we are going to, of course, fast forward now to 2017. So I made that decision five years before this. Um, I thought I had things working absolutely beautifully and I did not have any more of those issues. I thought all of that was clear and in my past because I did have 
um, an employee agreement written up by an attorney that did have, of course, the non-compete and the non-solicit in it. And the employees that I hired knew what that contract said and they had all signed it. So I thought we were certainly perfectly good there. So what ended up happening is one of my, she was actually one of my former independent contractors who had been working with me for eight years. So at this point, she had been an employee for at least a good five years of that. She had uh, an additional side job. And for that entire five-year period, I was a little bit annoyed, annoyed by my state, which every state's Department of Labor is different. But because she had another job that was seasonal and that job asked her to file unemployment on the off season. Every time she would file for unemployment, it would catch my company in the middle of it. And they considered with my company because she was not full time, even though she didn't want to be because she was not full time. She was considered underemployed. So that entire five years, I was additionally having to pay unemployment to her on top of um, actually having her do services. So just a little side note. I don't know. Not every state is the same, but, you know, that was an annoying thing in the first place. Um, and then to top it off, she started in 2017 to, um, you know, I'm not available for this. I'm not available for that. Don't schedule me for this. Then um, her job seasonal was, um, spring and summertime. So uh, March came and she's like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to do these. And really at that point, we had a flex employee agreement uh, that she was going to be available during particular time. She was trying to change that agreement and it just ended up being that it was not sustainable for the company as we were growing. And so she ended up leaving the company towards, I guess, later August or so in 2017. And or no, it was actually springtime of 2017. Don't want to get my story screwed up here uh, when she picked up her work at her other job. So she resigned with my service and I was still connected to her on social media. And I, I realized, wow, some of her clients that she took care of on a regular basis, we weren't hearing from them. They were canceling services. And then I started to see, um, particularly on her Instagram, she was posting pictures of all of those clients. So when I actually realized it and I did a search, there was a fair number of clients that she was then taking care of. And um, yeah, so what did I do? Contacted my attorney and presented all of that information. And my attorney did send her a cease and desist letter. I did find that. So um, I wanted to just kind of read that to you. So you have a general idea. This was actually from an attorney. Of course, I am not an attorney. This is not any kind of an attorney advising educational thing. So, you know, don't take this copy and, and think that you can use it for any reasons. If you do need to have a cease and desist letter uh, written for your company, you need to consult your own business attorney for that. But I just wanted to give you, uh, you know, the, the background here. So I'm writing on behalf of my clients with regard to your employment agreement violations. As you're aware, your resignation from employment with my, my client was effective February 28, 2017, as you indicated you had other priorities to care for. In addition, as you're aware, your employment agreement with my client contained numerous restrictive covenants with regard to maintaining confidentiality, with regard to trade secrets, and with regard to your agreement not to compete in any way against my client for 24 months after your termination of employment. 
However, it's come to our attention that you're in direct competition and therefore violation of your agreements in that it is well known that you have been and are now soliciting the company's clients, utilizing its trade secrets and operating a dog walking and pet care business. Your decision to violate the terms of your employment agreement, which you earlier agreed to honor, has already caused material financial damage to my client, which sums continue to accumulate. Um, blah, 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 blah. So just wanted to at least give you the front part of that. I had calculated over that six-month time frame that it was about $6,000 in lost revenue based off of the monthly midday clients and also some very heavy travelers that she was taking care of. So, you know, extrapolate over a year, that was a good $12,000 in lost business revenue. So, you know, I felt like this was the best thing for me to do. So that was sent off to... Uh, my former employee, and I don't have her response. I was trying to find that because it was it was a shocker, um, and it really it made me think a lot. So, but I do know that the gist at the beginning of it was her stating that um, that utilizing trade secrets. She literally said, "Utilizing trade secrets is a complete joke. Anyone can pick up dog shit." So that was the opening line to her very short response to me. And that did make me stop and think an awful lot. And because of that, I did make a lot of changes in my company. Um, definitely, I can tell you even five years ago, you know, I do a lot now and I've learned a lot over my 25 years, but I was a different business owner just five years ago. Uh, things have changed so much, but I like to say I've, you know, I fail forward. Um, that was an opportunity for me to not just get my panties in a wad. And um, I, I was just able to take what happened in the business and make changes to improve things and make sure that it doesn't happen in the future. So I actually did kind of figure out when I look back, there were really three key lessons that I learned that I was able to make changes and implement in my business. And I wanted to share those with you today and possibly they will help you also. So number one, um, I decided instead to structure my business for success. I had already been an employee-employer relationship for five years, so I did have that set up, but I realized I had a lot of um, lax policies. There were a lot of things that I could do to improve the business to prevent that from happening, of course, in the future. Uh, number one, most importantly, you want to make sure that you are building a relationship between your clients and your company. This is especially if you are growing and if you have a team. Now, if you are a solopreneur, you are the relationship. So you're not going to, of course, have to worry about any of this. But at any point when you start to grow and you bring another person on your team, this is always going to be a risk. These are the ways that you can really mitigate that risk as much as possible. So you want to make sure that you are building that relationship between the clients and the company, not the clients and the person coming to the house. So there's a lot of ways that you need to go about doing that. Um, 
Number one, you want to make sure that you have a really strong team culture, that all of your employees feel very well connected to your company, and that everyone has mission and a vision and are following a specific set of values. And everyone is really rowing the boat in the same direction. That really just at the core is going to make for more um, engaged employees that are happier in what they do and feel like they have a purpose. And they are not going to feel the need to leave. They're not going to constantly be thinking, I can do this better. Um, you want to make sure that you have them engaged so that you are asking them questions and you are listening to their input and, and to improve your company. You're making sure that you, you do acknowledge people based off of the values of your company and really support the team that you have. So that is involved in the strong team culture really to prevent any issues from happening in the first place. You do, of course, want to have a very strong contract by an attorney. So, you know, get one written, make sure it is gone over so every piece is in it. If you're able to find a contract that has previous experience in the industry, that is great. I do know that uh, my attorney that I had write the cease and desist letter, he didn't have previous experience in the industry. And so we had a couple of iterations there to uh, try to get something that you know, was was beefy enough for the cease and desist. So he has learned a lot, of course, uh, in his experiences with me in the industry. Um, you know, I mean, yes, case law is case law, contracts are contracts, but you know, we do just have a very different industry. There's not a lot of business models that are that are set up from uh, set up like ours. So what I do have in my contract now is all of these important sections that I really want to highlight. Um, we do have it where the section is pulled out, indented on the actual contract. There is literally a line next to it for them to initial. And I think we have four or five of our specific clauses in our employment contract that we do sit down um, when we are doing paperwork with a new employee. We do go over and we together with the employee read word for word each one of those asking them if they have any questions about them. And then we do have them initial agreeing next to each of those individual contract clauses, um, because when you look at our contract, it is four pages long. So um, and we know how well people read things like contracts. <laughs> so we just really want to ensure that we are stepping out with the right foot and that our employees are very clear um, with those parts of the contract being pulled out and emphasized. Uh, work as a team. So I know there are some people in the industry who are still, um, still have the belief that they want to keep one, uh, one staff with a client, try to keep one person. Um, lots of information out there on how that is just going to burn out and exhaust your team members if you don't have uh, rotating schedules, especially if you have a high percentage of travelers. But definitely, I recommend that you change things up. Don't always have the same person on a client because, again, you want to make sure that you are building a relationship between the client and the company, not the client and the person that shows up every day. That is one of the biggest risks for this business and possibly having one of your employees take clients is that that relationship is with that person. That person is my dog walker. 
not your company, that person is my dog walker who I trust to come into my home. So, you know, work as a team, um, you know, you don't want a constant revolving door or anything like that, but make sure that you do have other faces that are going in there, um, other communications coming to them about services. So it is not just reliant on one person coming in with one client. Uh, your consults, consider if you have a management team, having a manager or a head, um, a head staffer go in and do those consults or you, if you are still doing them yourself, um, make sure if you're still in the field, make sure that you go with your primary staff person to every consult. You want to be or a management representative of your company, you want to be the face of the company. You want to make sure you ground that client to your company and what your company is all about. And the emphasis, again, is not on a single person that is going into the home. So you want to make sure that the company has that initial FaceTime with the client at their home to gather information. I always recommend using software. Even if you're a solopreneur um, software, it is it is inexpensive, um, you know, under $50 a month for software and everything that it does for you with invoicing. Um, I was just, uh, when I was looking for this old contract from five years ago, I was just in my office this morning and my operations manager was there and she's been with the company for about nine months now, but she is actually our new operations manager. So she doesn't know all the you know ins and outs of our history. And so I'm flipping through old files and I actually found my first brochure and I showed her that and she was all giggly over that from 97. <laughs> especially the pricing. Um, and I found some of our old ways that we used to have to do invoicing because of course we were all paper. We didn't start our first software until 2005. We had an actual installed um, system on our computer for a couple of years before that. Um, I was using a Palm Trio. Boy, I thought I was like, whoop, I was like up there because I had this really super cool piece of tech that I kept my schedule on, but um, I was showing her how we used to mail cards out for invoices and how things were operating. And she was like, oh my gosh, I just didn't realize that it would be such a hassle without software. Um, so software is just, it's just such a huge game changer. The tech that's out there that is available at your fingertips, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, you know, I do have that, of course, in my tech tools information for anyone that is interested. Um, I, I am I like using technology. I have been around for a long time, but I've gone the entire gamut across the board. And I just know how valuable technology is to a growing business and for your efficiency. Definitely emphasize no communication between your clients and your staff that is direct and does not have to do with the actual pet care services that are being provided at that time. So uh, I know a lot of the software programs definitely ours. Um, you can go in there and you can like disallow your staff to be able to see your clients' phone numbers and contact information. Um, I do recommend that in all of our contracts with our employees, we do say and in our employee handbook that there is to be no contact between themselves and any of the clients. All communication is required to go through 
um, the software. They cannot share their phone numbers. There is to be no contact on social media. So they are not, um, not to accept a FRED request or reach out to any of the clients. So we do maintain very hard boundaries there. That is not just for, for our company and the way that our company operates, but that is also for staff privacy purposes, because of course, this is an autonomous team. Most of them do work part-time on a flexible schedule. And so we do want to uh, put barriers and boundaries there for their own protection. We have in the past years ago had clients who would just show up at a um, a sitter's home, uh, which did cause some very, very awkward situations. So we established that, of course, first for their security and privacy, but it also does benefit the company to make sure that all of that communication goes through one place and nothing is missed. So also, you know, in your software, watch their communications. Um, I know that there are some large companies out there that are not able to keep up with messaging on a daily basis. Uh, we specifically have managers that that is that is what they do. It doesn't make any difference if we're processing 150 to 200 message, messages a day. Their responsibility is go through and read every single one. You never know if there's going to be scheduling item in there, if there's going to be some sort of a change on um, uh, pet direct pet care that needs to be updated in the system. Um, you want to make sure, of course, that staff is following policies. So that is really uh, the best way to in ensure consistency and repetition in what is being provided to your clients is by reviewing those messages. So if you're reviewing them and you, you, can, you can start to see a change in messaging, um, you want to make sure that your staff is not... Um, Kind of changing the way that they're saying things and starting to hint that they're going to be leaving or anything like that. Uh, when you see it, you'll you'll know what I mean in there. So, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you keep an eye on that kind of thing so that there's not that kind of information. Everything stays very professional between your um, staff and your clients. And then, um, of course, on the back end, if you do have someone leave the company, always have an exit interview. Um, you know, that's a pretty simple form. A lot of times you can find a little boilerplate copy uh, from Professor Google on how to conduct an exit interview. Uh, but of course, you want to find out the typical one is going to you know, be outlining exactly why they left. If you can get that information, if there was anything that your company could have done to um, improve the situation, if they have any suggestions, which is pretty standard. Um, of course, you don't typically do exit interviews when you're terminating someone. This is for someone that is, um, you know, just leaving for just normal reasons, uh, moving or moving on to a different career, anything like that, getting a full-time job instead. But definitely during that exit interview, you want to make sure that you pull out their contract that they signed, show them this is what you signed, go over those clauses so that they are clear what they signed and make sure that they do have a copy of that moving forward. So those are a lot of key steps there that will prevent any kind of issue down the road. Hopefully that list does help you out a bit there with some explanation. Number two lesson I learned, comprehensive employee training, because of course we do a lot more than pick up dog shit. Um, that was a huge thing that came out of just that one comment in black and white on a piece of paper. I realized that I did not have really great training. I told them 
I gave them some how to do things. I didn't go specifically in the into the what and the why and and have the kind of training program that I have now. We have an incredible training program for our, our employees with so many touch points. Uh, we have employees that come on board that feel so welcome. Uh, they feel so prepared. They realize they didn't know anything when we hired them. And they are really confident in going out and doing their job and are great representatives of our company. So um, I recommend having a solid training program for your employees to anyone. Um, and, and specifically in that, you want to make sure that you are teaching a skill. So you want to be providing things that a typical pet owner is not going to come on board knowing. You want to make sure you do teach them, um, you know, how to deal with aggressive cats, uh, you know, behavioral things. You want to teach them body language. You want to have that all included, not just to teach them a skill for themselves. That is a huge benefit that they will have that knowledge, but then that just makes your entire team better uh, for your community. And in my case, I always recommend to people don't only hire for someone with pet care experience. Um, a lot of times people who have worked for other pet sitting companies probably aren't doing it right anyway compared to your standards. So understand that and understand that it is always easier to teach a blank slate and teach them the way that you want things to be done. Um, otherwise, you are usually unteaching a lot of behaviors and previous uh, policy awareness from their previous experience. So don't always think that on your job ad, you have to say must have two years of pet care experience because that sometimes will bite you in the butt and cause more hassle than you might be aware of in the first place. And then the third lesson that I learned is always pick your battles. You know, there's not necessarily every little thing that you're going to want to fall on your sword for. Know what your boundaries are. Know what your hard lines are. Um, you know, every time you have a situation that comes up like this, you really have to stop and consider. Just because I can lawyer up doesn't necessarily mean that I should. You know, there are some times that it is, Oh, it's a matter of principle. It just pisses you off so much that someone would do that to you. Um, but you really need to set your ego aside. Um, you really need to, I don't know, it really, I mean, it hurts. It bruises your ego. This is your baby. This is something that you built. And, and when somebody takes some of that away for whatever circumstances, you can be pissed at your client for going to them. You can be pissed at your employee for doing that or former employee for doing that. But you just need to take a step back, take a deep breath and really understanding what is the situation? What can you learn from this situation? Is this something where you want to take your time and your energy and your money? Because we all know that lawyers are not cheap. Um, do you want to take that and divert all of those things away from your business and the impact that you're making in your community. And do you want to divert any of that precious part of you to something like this? Is it ultimately going to be worthwhile? I can tell you that I, I got such a benefit from that experience myself five years ago. I did not pursue her any further. 
I learned a lesson that, believe me, was worth so much more than $12,000 a year and how I was able to change my business and grow from there. Um, we are since 2017, we're four to five times the size. Um, actually, my local Pet Supplies Plus store, I go in there and I still see occasionally her business card up on the bulletin board. I even see uh, one of the two ladies that took half of my business back in 2010. And it just makes me giggle. Um, so just make sure that you can separate your ego from what actually has happened and make a good decision for you and for your business if you have something like this that you unfortunately have to deal with in the future. And in anything in business, when you just have a total business failure, everybody's inclination immediately is to start pointing fingers. You know, that's like the first thing we think of is whose fault is this? Because I don't want to put the finger at myself. <laughs> uh, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is really to be introspective and take a step back and figure out what your responsibility was in any situation that happens in your company or even your personal life. But I like to make sure everybody understands that anytime that you're pointing the finger at somebody else, you got three other fingers that are pointing right back at you. So always focus on yourself first. Make sure your own house is set up correctly um, by using these three lessons that I learned. Hopefully that will help you in the future not have any of uh, these kinds of situations yourself. Um, as always, stick with the Pet Biz Hive for your weekly latest information. Uh, you can also catch the Pet Biz Hive podcast, which uh, this information will be posted to as audio. And of course, we do have our Tips Tuesday on there. I was talking about that earlier with the two different episodes I did on ICs versus employee. And of course, we do have the Pet Biz MBA membership where we don't just go in and tell you what to do, but we give you all of the framework on how to do it to get your business growing. That membership will be opening back up in October. You will get some more information on that coming up. And additionally, um, as was just men mentioned re recently on the uh, Pet Store Confessional podcast, I have a rewrite of my previous lockbox training. It is now a full key management program uh, for anyone that's even starting a new pet business to make decisions on how to manage their keys including, of course, the training on converting clients over to lockboxes, if that is the best decision to make for your company. That will be released soon, so stay tuned, and we'll get you more information on that training, too. So hopefully this has been helpful to you guys. Drop a little note. I'd love to know what you think about this and if there are any other things that you would like for me to talk about. Um, so make it a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Biz Hive. You can follow me at Pet Biz Hive on both Facebook and Instagram and learn more at PetSitterGuru.com. What is your next best move?